0: Okay. Good morning. morning. (laughs) I was told you were all going to just keep chatting till I said something. So, (laughs) my good friend Maureen Donahue, uh, who actually introduced me to Dallas Willard, uh, used to say, um, with women in particular, women in the word on Wednesday morning, she's like, it's like herding kittens. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, so in our continuing um, HVAC series, where people in the congregation have been asked to speak on something that has had a spiritual impact on their habits, virtues, or character, uh, I have chosen to speak on a book titled Hearing God by Dallas Willard. Um, But before we dive into that, let me uh, pray for our time together. Father, I am so grateful that you are present in this place, that your Holy Spirit is here to be our teacher and guide, and I pray this morning that your spirit would open our eyes and our ears, that we might see and hear all that you have for us today. Pray these things in Christ's name, amen. So um, I was first introduced to Dallas Willard um, around 1998 when I signed up to take a Bible study with Maureen Donahue based on the book, The Divine Conspiracy. And it is a book that I recommend highly. In it, um, Willard expands on his belief that Jesus came to earth primarily to respond to mankind's need to know how to live well. Jesus uh, came in order to make available in him a different kind of life, an abundant life, a Zoe life, um, an, an eternal life that could begin now. We, didn't ha- we don't have to die and go to heaven in order to experience this life. God is offering this life with God now. Adam and Eve had experienced this life with God that we were intended to experience when they were in the Garden of Eden. But then sin had ruptured the relationship, and now Jesus was here to show mankind how that relationship could be restored. A short time after that Bible study, um, Dallas Willard came to Baltimore and to Grace Fellowship Church to lead a weekend workshop on prayer. And it's a combination of Willard's thinking on life in God's kingdom now and his view on prayer that has fundamentally changed how I relate to God and converse with him. So Willard defines prayer As communication with God about what you and he are doing together at its core prayer is rooted in relationship it's not about trying to change God's mind or trying to get him to do stuff for us or even trying to hear from him what he would have us do it is a conversation back and forth where each person talks and listens as they seek to work together And as with any relationship, the way that you work together improves the better you know one another. Jesus tells a wonderful parable that illustrates this point. In Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, Jesus tells the parable of the talents. A man is going on a journey and so he entrusts his servants with his property. The servant entrusted with five talents goes at once and puts his master's money to work and gains five more. The servant, entrusted with one talent, goes and digs a hole in the ground and hides the money. When the man returns, he calls his um, servants to him to give an account. To the servant who invested his master's money, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Clearly, this servant knew the master well enough to know what he would have wanted him to do with the money. He goes and does it, and now he gets to share in his master's happiness. When the servant who hid the master's money comes, he begins with, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and went out and hid your talent in the ground. There is no well-done, good, and faithful servant here, nor a sharing in the master's happiness. This servant didn't really know his master. Yet it's interesting that both servants acted on what they thought they knew about the master. That's why it is so important that our knowledge about God be accurate and true if we are going to be doing kingdom work with him. So often our pre-existing ideas and assumptions about are what actually determine what or whether we will see and hear. So therefore it's essential that we cultivate a loving relationship with God. In fact, becoming even a friend. In John 15, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Willard puts it this way, As God's friends, we always want to be asking God what he is doing and how he wants us to work with him. In his book, Hearing God, Willard lays out steps that we can take to help us as we seek to communicate with God in prayer. He is careful to say that these steps are not a formula because at its core, prayer is about a relationship and not just getting God to talk to us or to do stuff for us. Our engagement with God will be as unique as the individual. But there are principles which can guide us as we seek to deepen that relationship. The first step Willard lists is meditate on God's principles for life, set forth in Scripture, looking to find their meaning and applying it to our lives. The primary manner of communication from God to man is a word from God, and nowhere do we have a clearer word from God than in the word of God, the Bible. Psalm 1, 1-3 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. If you want to know how to live well, to experience that abundant life with God that you were created to enjoy, to bear good fruit for his kingdom, then meditate on God's word and apply it to your life. You may want to get in the habit of um, the ancient practice of Lectio Divina. In the past, Rick Feint has introduced our congregation to this idea For those who may not remember, Lectio Divina literally means divine reading and is a traditional benedictine practice of scriptural reading, meditation, and prayer intended to promote communion with God and to increase the knowledge of God's Word. It doesn't treat scripture as a text to be studied, but as God's living Word. We read it to open ourselves to God's Spirit and ask God to give us an openness to hear whatever the Spirit wishes to say to us today. The Gospel of John describes Jesus as the Word, made flesh. This summer, women of hope studied the seven I Am statements in the Gospel of John. Our last week, we looked at John 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This sounds a lot like that tree in Psalm 1. Real life, what the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6 calls the life that is truly life, is only experienced as we stay connected to that source of life, Jesus. Another step that Willard suggests is that we pay attention to what is happening in our lives to find God's communications in our hearts and minds. We act on the belief or assumption that God is always trying in lots of ways to teach us about himself and will reveal himself to us as we seek to strive and understand. Proverbs 2, 3-5 says, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Proverbs 8:17 says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. We don't have to worry that God is playing games of hide-and-seek with us or looking to tease or torture us. That is one talent-servant kind of thinking. No, we know God's goodness and love and know that he answers those who earnestly seek him. As Jesus says in Matthew 7, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, give good gifts to those who ask him? And so we expect to hear from God as we seek to live a life that honors him and advances his kingdom. And so as we go about our days living our lives, we seek to cultivate ears that hear and eyes that see what God is doing. There's a convicting statement that the patriarch Jacob makes in Genesis 28 that should give all of us pause. You can read the backstory in Genesis 27 and 28. But basically, Jacob is on a journey and as he stops for the night to sleep, he has a dream where he sees a stairway between heaven and earth and God speaks to him. When Jacob awakes from his sleep, he says, "'Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Reflect on whether you are intentionally looking and listening for God as you go about your day. Willard also suggests that we pray and speak to God constantly and specifically about all matters that concern us. Remember again that prayer is about God and you talking about what you are doing together. Think about your own prayer life. How often do you come to God when you're not in trouble? or when you're not being forced with a major decision that you don't know how to handle. This is probably the area where Willard's books have changed my thinking on prayer the most. I used to view prayer as me coming to God and asking him to do things I knew I couldn't do on my own. Or sometimes I'd come and say thanks for something he had done. Now, some of my prayers may still look like that, but if that represents all of my conversation with God... Then I'm treating God like some kind of cosmic vending machine or ATM, there to give me what I need when I ask for it. And I shouldn't expect God to be willing to give me anything. Instead, people who really want to hear God's voice and know his will for them, they'll seek it in the day in and day out stuff of life, as much as when they are facing trouble or big decisions. If your friend only calls you when they need you to bail them out, or when you they need to make a major life decision, then you might wanna question how real and deep that friendship really is. So Brother Lawrence is a really beautiful example of someone who understood prayer as speaking to God constantly and specifically about all matters that concern us. In the late 1600s, Brother Lawrence, born Nicholas Herman, worked as a lay brother in the kitchen of a Catholic Abbey in Paris. He often referred to himself as the Lord of pots and pans. I suspect that that's why he's one of my favorites. (laughs) Because his example has taught me that my kitchen can be a holy place where God and I talk about the things we're doing together. After Brother Lawrence's death in 1691, letters and notes that he had written were published as a book entitled Excerpts from the Practice of the Presence of God. In one of his letters he wrote, But when we are faithful in keeping ourselves in his holy presence, keeping him always before us, this not only prevents our offending him or doing something displeasing in his sight, at least willfully, but it also brings us to a holy freedom, and if I may say so, a familiarity with God, wherein we may ask and receive the graces we are so desperately in need of. Brother Lawrence cultivated a relationship with God and recognized his presence and voice in every aspect of his day-to-day life. And as a result, he was able to live every moment of that life in the reality of God's kingdom. Another step that Willard proposes we take is that we listen carefully and deliberately for God, paying close attention to what we hear. There are lots of ways in which God has spoken to mankind throughout history, In scripture, we have examples of where he's used an audible voice, think Moses in that burning bush, a spiritual messenger or an angel, think Mary and Joseph, dreams and visions, think Jacob and that stairway to heaven. He's used other people, like the prophets or Ananias with Saul after his encounter on the road to Damascus. And finally, there's that still small voice in our hearts or spirits. If we return to our premise that communication with God is all about a relationship, then it seems reasonable to expect that the two most common ways in which God will speak to us are in conjunction with the words of people around us and through the inner voice of our own thoughts, which we attribute to his spirit that dwells in us. In both these instances, God speaking through others and God speaking through our thoughts, it will take some discernment on our part to make sure that it is indeed God speaking. But that's why it's so important that we are involved in an intimate relationship with God, remaining in him so that we recognize his voice when he speaks. Recognizing his voice is something we learn to do through personal experience and experimentation, basically by trial and error. But there are some tests that we can give in trying to discern. First and perhaps easiest, we can look at the content of the words that we hear. We've said that the Word of God found in Scripture provides God's principles for how to live well. Even though the Bible may not have a specific answer to our specific concern, it does have all the principles we need for knowing God's will. So God's voice, the words that we hear, will never contradict his written word. If you hear a voice telling you to be unfaithful to your spouse or to cheat your employer, you can be sure that isn't God speaking. (laughs) God's words also seem to speak with a weight of authority. Throughout the Gospels, it says that when Jesus spoke, the crowds were amazed at the authority with which he taught. I think that we can often have that same impression about something we hear or think. There's a certain gravitas, an immediate... Yes, that rings true in my spirit when God is speaking. God's word also seems to have a certain spirit about it, a spirit of peace and confidence and goodwill. It's not the voice of a bully trying to make you do what he wants, nor is it that of an angry judge looking to condemn you. And finally, I think another good indication that it's God's voice speaking is what Willard calls Jesus' heartburn. In Luke 24, we find two disciples following Jesus' crucifixion on the road to Emmaus. Jesus joins them in a visible form that they don't recognize. And after they've shared with him the sad story of what had happened to Jesus of Nazareth, he responds, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Later on, after they had recognized him and he had vanished from their sight, they say to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road? I think oftentimes we too can experience burning hearts that can confirm for us that we have heard God speak. So what are we to do in those instances when we're seeking a word from God and we seem to be met with silence? I think the first thing we need to consider is that just because we don't hear doesn't mean God isn't speaking. Any parents relate to that? And there can be lots of reasons for this. Sometimes it can be because of all the other noise in our lives makes it impossible for us to hear his voice. see your bulletin cover. In general, God will not compete for our attention. Yes, there may be times when he sends a Saul to his knees with a blinding light, but these are exceptions and not the general rule. God is a gentleman and he will not barge in where he's not wanted. Other times we may fail to hear him speaking because we've tuned him out. Any parents relate to that? <laughs> We don't really want to hear what he has to say, and so we put ourselves in a position where we can't hear his voice. Over and over again, Jesus says throughout the Gospels, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When our son Nathan went to college, he was required to have a concentration area in addition to his major of math computer science. Now, while I wasn't able to participate much in the conversation about um, math and science, his CS classes, (laughs) I did delight in hearing about the classes he was taking in his concentration area, behavioral economics. Economists, they have this theory called revealed preferences. Basically, the theory says that the best way to measure consumer preferences is to observe their purchasing behavior someone can say their priority is saving money for their son's college education. But if they annually take their disposable income and spend it on a lavish vacation in the Bahamas, they have revealed their real priorities. In the same way, we may be able to look at our actions when it comes to our relationship with God and deduce where our priorities are. Are we doing the kinds of things that would foster a deeper, more meaningful relationship, like spending time together, communicating on a regular basis, being honest about struggles, seeking to put the other's interests ahead of our own? Or are we withdrawing, avoiding spending time together, preferring to just do our own thing without any input from the other person? In both these instances, where God's voice is being drowned out by all the other noise in our lives, or when we have intentionally tuned out his voice, it is vital that we carve out time and space where we can give God our undivided attention and be honest with ourselves and him about whether we are truly seeking his will and his kingdom. One thing you might want to consider doing is setting aside time to practice some Lectio Divina with Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Really ask God to show you where you have turned a deaf ear to him and his ways and ask him to show you how to reconnect with that abundant with God life. But there may often be times when we feel like we are abiding, and we do have listening ears, and still God doesn't seem to be giving us a specific word, we should consider then the possibility that God doesn't have a specific word for us on that particular issue, that he is happy for us to decide for ourselves the best course of action. I love the analogy that Willard gave when he did his prayer workshop in Baltimore so many years ago he had us imagine a playground bordered by a fence. Inside the playground were lots of different activities, swings, a seesaw, a slide, a sandbox. And then he asked us to picture a parent taking their child to the playground and delighting in allowing their child to choose whatever activity they preferred within the fenced border. Sometimes that's how it is with our relationship with God. We live with him within the borders of those principles that he has laid out in scripture, He's present with us, and there are various things that would equally please him, and so any one of them we would choose is good. Many people may experience this when they're considering where to go to school or where to work or where to live. If a sincere believer who's abiding in a relationship with God seeks guidance and does not hear a specific word, she can feel confident deciding for herself trusting in God's goodness and presence with her. If you think about it, we should hope that that's how God wants our relationship with him to be. A child cannot develop into a responsible, competent human being if he or she is always told what to do. When our daughter Lindsay first went off to college on the other side of the country, I often joked. I'd say, I spent the last 18 years trying to raise a self-reliant, independent young woman. And then when she turned out that way, I was like, what was I thinking? Right? (laughs) But the truth is, I really did want her to grow up to be a mature, confident young woman, ready to make a difference in the world. And that's what our Heavenly Father wants for us, too. And sometimes, that means making our own decisions without specific input from Him, and then being formed by those decisions. God both develops and tests our character by leaving us to decide. Willard puts it this way, where God has no instructions to give, we may be sure that is because it is best that he does not. That whatever lies within his moral will and whatever is undertaken in faith is his perfect will. To sum up, We were created to be in relationship with God and through reliance on him to experience true life. And learning to hear God will never make sense unless it is set within the context of life lived with him. But when we do that, when we make Galatians 2.20 our only priority, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, then my thoughts, God, and your thoughts, God, become our thoughts. And hearing God's voice becomes easier and easier, and our efforts for his kingdom more and more fruitful. So we're going to get ready to take communion now. And when we come to the Lord's table, we not only acknowledge Christ's sacrifice, his death for our sins, but we also celebrate that our lives are now inextricably linked with his, and that we can now live that different kind of Zoe life, where our life is hidden with Christ. Paul puts it like this in Romans 6. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So as we prepare to share the bread and the wine, let me pray for us. God, we ask that you would show us how to cultivate a relationship with you, that we might foster a familiarity with you, whereby we can ask and receive the graces that we are so desperately in need of. Amen.